Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my new friend, Heather Borsma. Heather is a speaker, a life coach, and the author of a brand new book called Letters from a Big Sister. Today, Heather's going to teach us how we can find and be the big sister we've always wanted. I'm so excited about this episode. In our conversation, Heather tells us about her experience with bullying growing up and about how the big sister figures she had in her life back then kept those experiences from totally crushing her. Big sisters are so important when we're growing up, and they're so important for us now, too. I don't know about you, but I long to have a big sister figure today as much as I did when I was 13. And that's why I'm so excited about this conversation. Heather's going to walk us through how to find these big sisters in our lives, no matter how old we are. And she's also going to teach us how to be great big sisters to the women a few steps behind us. I cannot wait to dive in. But before we do... Guys, if you are a small group leader, or really a leader of any kind of group of women, at church, in your sorority, at work, I have a resource in my shop that you are not going to want to miss out on. It's my Friendship Small Group Guide, a six-week guide designed to help your group get to know each other, become each other's people. This isn't a Bible study, but it's my favorite way to begin one because it helps create that foundation of trust and friendship that will take your small group, your team, your friendships, and even your studying of God's Word to a deeper, more meaningful level. To learn more about the small group guide and to download the first chapter of the guide for free, go to stephaniemaywilson.com slash first chapter free. That link will be in our show notes as well. I cannot wait to tell you more about it. Okay, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here is my conversation with Heather. Okay, guys, I'm so excited for what we have for you today. I'm sitting here with my friend, Heather. Heather, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Heather, for the women who are not familiar with you yet, can you just tell us who you are, what you do, and I would love to hear a fun fact about you. Sure. So I am a Canadian girl, and I'm a wife and a mom and a speaker, author, and life coach. Now I say all that, but really I'm a full-time mom. So that's like my 10% job is what I call it. (laughs) So (laughs) when I'm not with my three crazy, energetic, wild kids, then I'm doing those other things. And a fun fact about me is I'm actually a little bit of a secret adrenaline junkie. So like jumping off of really high cliffs or like rope swinging under a bridge or, you know, big roller coasters. That's kind of my, my jam. <laughs> okay. That's like a really fun fact. And I just, <laughs> I, I feel like I wouldn't have ever known that. What is the, the craziest thing you've ever done? Oh man. Um, well, I'd probably say the craziest thing I ever did was jump off like a 40 foot cliff into a lake. And that along with like, I've done a couple rope swings where it was a little sketchy, but it was, it was worth it. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm so happy to know that about you. Oh, and I skydived. That's maybe crazier than a cliff jump. I feel like cliff jumping scarier, but skydiving kind of is more impressive to people. I think. (laughs) I think they're both really impressive. Where did you go skydiving? In New Zealand. 
Okay. That's also awesome. (laughs) That is very impressive. I think that's so cool. I feel like I'm, I don't know if I'm quite outdoorsy enough to be an adrenaline junkie. I, I do like it and I can't talk myself into things, but I'm usually very scared. I think the scariest thing I've ever done, I haven't gone skydiving or bungee jumping or anything, just like haven't had the opportunity, haven't really sought out the opportunity. The scariest thing I've ever done though, is I uh, did whitewater rafting around the Nile oh, and it yeah. was very scary, <laughs> yeah. very scary. Um, but it was, it was awesome. So and I, so I feel fun. like that's that's like my only claim to fame uh, is whitewater rafting <laughs> the Nile. So I feel like that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so that Heather, cool. you just came out with a brand new book that is totally, totally after my own heart. Can you just take a few minutes to tell us about it? Yeah, sure. So the book is called Letters from a Big Sister. And the heart of the book is to reach out to young women as a big sister voice and several voices. Actually, the book has 14 contributors who wrote letters to their younger selves. What do I wish I would have known when I was a young woman, when I was going through those challenges that we go through when we're in that formative time of our life? And what do I wish someone would have told me then that could have helped me through my struggles? And then I expand on every chapter in, or every letter into a chapter. So the letters kind of spearhead the chapter. And then there's journaling pages and reflection questions and song suggestions at the end of every chapter to get you kind of engaging with the content. That is amazing. Gosh, I love that so much. I feel like the women listening are like, and this is totally up Stephanie's alley. Like, I love that. I feel like that's a lot of what we do here at Girls Night, where it's maybe it's not like letters from a big sister, but maybe it's letters from like your twin sister, someone who's right. right alongside you, or who's like maybe a step and a half ahead of you who um, is like, okay, turn left here, bring a sweater, yeah. don't date that guy, and <laughs> uh, you know, try this, and it'll make life so much easier. That's the big one there, right? Don't date that guy. Don't date that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know he looks cute. I know that he seems fun. Don't date him. It's not going to work out. Oh, um, Heather, I love this because I know that I have been longing for a big sister my entire life. Um, I think when my mom was pregnant with my little sister, she asked me what I wanted and like plan A was for a big brother and then plan B would be for a big sister. And obviously neither of those things are possible because it was a younger sibling. But either way, I really have had some wonderful like surrogate big sisters step in and be role models and mentors for me. And it has totally changed my life. And I know that you have the same story. You are sharing with me that you had some experiences with bullying in middle school and high school. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. You know, it was interesting because I just always felt like I didn't fit in when I was in school, whether that was in elementary or junior high or middle school or um, high school. And it was rejection kind of on all fronts. Like I experienced it first in my public school. And then I went to a private Christian school and experienced a similar rejection there. And then it started coming even from girls in my youth group at my church. So it was kind of like this layered thing where I just started to feel like, maybe everything that they think about me is true. And what got me through that season in a lot of ways was my faith in God, but also having big sisters in the faith who reached their hand back to me and said, here, I'm going to help you walk through this time. I'm going to remind you of what's true. And I'm going to speak life into you when your peers aren't. So that was a huge part of forming me into who I am today, both the challenge of it and also the mentorship of those big sisters. I love that so much. And I feel like so many of us have been there. I know for me, 
I had, I have such a passion for friendship and that's something we talk about a lot in my community and here on the podcast. And, um, a lot of it comes from the fact that I've had really wonderful friends in my life and women both ahead of me and beside me who have really like changed the course of my life through their love and through their friendship. But also I think a lot of my heart for talking about friendship comes from the fact that along the way, I also had some really terrible friends and also Mm -hmm. had experiences with bullying and um, just girls who weren't kind. And, you know, I think that all of us have experienced that. All of us have, have had the experience where we're like pushed outside of a group or we're left out or we're made fun of. And, and the crazy thing is that those like scars and those um, words that people can say to us, even before they even really know what they're saying, can really stick with us. And so, I it's like my heart cry, my passion in life to help us be better as women because we mm-hmm. really do get to choose. We get to choose to be like mean girls and then you know to fit that stereotype when people say that girls are terrible to each other, or we get to be good to each other, and we really get to choose. And so, um, anyway, I know that so many of us can can relate to that. And I love that you, I, I love that you had those women like taking care of you. Were they mm-hmm. in your youth group? Or tell us more about the the women and more about like how they how they showed up for you. Yeah, so a lot of them were small group leaders that I had in youth group. But some were also when I started to get involved volunteering in my church or volunteering with other organizations, I would often find mentors in that setting because we were drawn together by like a common passion or a common interest. And then they started pouring into me because of me being there to pour into somebody else. So I think, I mean, for me, what that's kind of the takeaway from that is often when we're in that like dark place of like experiencing pain or rejection, we kind of want to go inwards. But when we reach out to serve and love other people, whether it's other, you know, friends around us that need a friend, or um, we just, you know, find a passion or an interest that's giving and serving and focused on someone else, it's often in that space that we meet the big sisters or the big brothers. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. You know, I think that when we think about the idea of a big sister, a lot of us immediately think about the people who are actually related to us. But I mean, a lot of us are like me and don't have a big sister. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, even sometimes like we're not as close to our our siblings as we wish we were. And so that's the truth sometimes. Um, But the thing that I love is that a lot of the big sisters that have really impacted me and that I know have impacted you weren't related to us. Um, Exactly. Which I think is really cool. I know that there are women listening who are going through all kinds of different things right now who might be thinking, I could really use a big sister in life right now, but I have no idea where to find one. And I feel like that's true. You know, we're talking about girls in middle school and high school, but also, but like, this is if you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, like we all need big sisters. So if there's someone listening right now that's like, I could use a few more big sisters in my life, where do we find one? (laughs) That's a great question. And I'll be honest, like, even though I've had a lot of big sisters in my life, there's definitely times now in my thirties where I'm like, Oh, I could use that more than ever before. And it's, I think it's even harder as adults to find friends sometimes than it was in junior high and high school. Um, at least that's been my experience because there's so much transition and change in our lives and we're moving locations or jobs or whatever 
And so it's hard to find those um, consistent places to be connecting. So I for sure would say that church is a huge one for me that I've been able to connect with a lot of little sisters and big sisters in that faith setting. And I, and like I mentioned, volunteering, that's another one, getting involved somewhere where you already have a passion to serve and give back. And you'll find, the thing is, you'll find like-minded people when you're in a space like that. So that's another great place. And then, you know, sometimes we have big sisters that don't even know that they're big sistering us. And that could be, you know, in the online space or a podcast you listen to. I mean, I'm sure a lot of your readers would view you that way, right? They would look up and go, oh, she's she's got, you know, that little bit of wisdom or that little bit of experience that I don't have that I can look to and, and find encouragement and direction. And I think that's a totally valid and legitimate way to connect with a big sister. But one of the most strange ways that I would suggest, and maybe we'll feel really backwards, is I think that sometimes the best way to find a big sister is to first reach out and be a big sister. And this feels backwards because it's like, well, how is that actually going to help me? But I really believe that in the kingdom of God, when we sow generously, we reap generously. And so if we put ourselves out there and say, I'm going to be that person to somebody else that I wish I had right now, that we will get that back tenfold. And I've seen that in my life. I've seen it in my life where I didn't have someone speaking into me in a certain area. And I reached out and started speaking into somebody else in that area. And lo and behold, I would randomly, (laughs) randomly with quotation (laughs) marks, connect with a big sister in a similar area months later or years later. So I really think that when we are looking for that, we can first be that to somebody else. I love that advice. And that's actually something I think about a lot when it comes to friendship that, you know, when we're feeling like, I wish I had more friends, like that is such a vulnerable sentence to say. And it's Mm -hmm. something that, that we all feel, but very few of us say out loud because it feels like there's something wrong with us if we don't have enough Mm -hmm. friends in our lives. But really, like you said, especially in our adulthood, there's so much transition, there's so much going on that it really is so common for us to find ourselves feeling disconnected from people. And the process of like fixing that, of going and finding your people and connecting is so like is so vulnerable. It feels like the worst parts of dating, but even more vulnerable somehow. Mm-hmm. But I feel like my favorite, my favorite piece of wisdom on this that I've gotten to see really happen in my own life is make it your mission to make other people less lonely. Mm-hmm. Like make it your mission to find people who could use people and to be their people, um, to bring mm-hmm. people together. Like start something in your town where you find any woman who needs more friends that you can think of and invite her over to your house. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's some sort of mental shift that happens when we start taking care of other people. Like that feels a little bit less vulnerable to take care of someone else. It feels like something we can fight for and get our weight behind a little bit more. But the thing that's amazing that happens is when, as we're creating community for other people, we look around and we found our people too. And I think that that's just really, um, I love how you said that when we sow generously, we reap generously and how, how true of it is or how true is it of God's character that we would like show up and be a mentor for someone and then he would like bring that into our lives too. I really love that. Yeah. So yeah. when it comes to like finding people to mentor, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Another great question. And again, I would have some of the same answers. Um, for sure in a church community or some kind of faith-based setting, I think it's the reason for me that I've always been able to find 
big and little sisters there is because you're already brought together by like a common ground. And so it really makes it easy to find those connecting points. I've also gotten involved with some teen mom programs in my city. And that's an amazing way to find little sisters because they're already coming super vulnerable and they're coming with a lot of practical felt needs. And when we can actually meet someone's felt need first, it really opens up their heart for us to be able to also pour into them emotionally and spiritually as well. So if there's somewhere that um, you see a need in your city with, with youth or just people even just one, one step before you are, then take some time, give a little bit of extra time to pour in. And it might even be someone that's right in front of you. Like it might be your little cousin. It might be your friend's little sister. You know, there's, there are little sisters all around us. And I think once our eyes are open to it and we start looking for it, we find that there's an abundance of opportunity. I really love that. I wanted to go back to something that you said that I I just wanted to like put an exclamation point on because I loved it so much. Um, when you were talking about finding finding women online or, you know, authors or people that you can look up to. And like, by no means is that to be a replacement for in-person mentorship at all. But I feel mm-hmm. like it fits in this really other beautiful category that I, I think of when I think of like big sisters or mentorship or the, the support system that we need in our lives, I think of it way more like a pie chart than like a one size fits all kind of situation. There, mm-hmm. We have all these different needs in our lives and all these different sections of our lives. And so it makes a lot of sense for us to have all kinds of women that we look up to and in different ways. And so like you might have someone who works with you, who is like 10 years ahead of you, who's in your field, who's just killing it. And you so look up to her or him. And that can be your big sister or I guess big brother It at work. It doesn't have to be your big, mm-hmm. that person doesn't have to fit all these other categories. And so I think that we can kind of look at it that way. Like who could be your big sister at work? Who could be your big sister when it comes to like your health and your wellness? Who could be your big mm-hmm. sister when it comes to your faith? But I, I think that finding people online is a really cool slice of that pie. I had a pastor in college who would say, he would talk about people being his author mentor and he would say, oh, that's my author mentor. And like, he'd never met the person. They didn't have a relationship. Yeah. But there are people like you and like me and like wonderful, you know, authors and pastors and people in the world who have taken so much time to pour their hearts into something like a book. And it's the Mm -hmm. best wisdom they could have possibly gathered together. They worked for years on it to, to make it perfect. And we're able to take so much from the things that people create. I've learned so much from different authors and there are things that have totally changed the course of my life that came from a book that someone I don't know wrote. And so I think it's, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And, you know, it's not a replacement for in-person big sistership, I guess, um, sisterhood, big sisterhood, sistering, <laughs> something like that. But it is that, like, it is such a wonderful part of the pie. Yeah. And I think it takes some pressure off when we have to see, like, there are pieces of this pie. It doesn't need to be, one person doesn't need to be your big sister in every single way. Well, and I think this just reminded me when you were talking of another aspect of it, which is when you want to... When you look at someone and you really admire them and you're like, I want what they have, I want what they carry, another really powerful way to get that from them without just saying, hey, can you give me a whole bunch of your time, which is what mentorship really takes, right? It takes a lot of time for the person who's choosing to be the big sister. Another amazing way that you can connect with big sisters is to serve somebody else's vision. 
And I think of like, when I think of some of those online people, sometimes they're going to do like a book launch, for example, and you get on their book launch team because you truly want to serve the vision that God has given them. And you're there to serve and give and love, not with any ulterior motive, not trying to get their attention, not trying to earn their love, but simply because you really believe in what they're doing. And you will find that as you serve those people, you're going to get their almost like their blessing, I think, or the thing that they carry, you're going to start to see that increase in your life. And I saw this personally when I did a mentorship program with Jess Connolly. Um, she does this thing called Go and Tell Gals. And I was like, whatever she's doing, I just need to be a part of it because I love how she leads and what she carries. And so I started, you know, kind of serving that vision for that season in my life. And what I found is all of a sudden I was getting new opportunities in my life, in my coaching business. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't really make sense logically, but again, it's like kingdom pers- perspective and kingdom pr- principles is like when you serve somebody else and you serve their vision and calling, you start to see that, that calling grow in your own life. So that's what I've kind of experienced myself. I love that so much. And I think that you really addressed one of the biggest hangups, um, one of the biggest like roadblocks that comes between finding a new big sister. And, and it's, it could be someone who's more public or someone who, you know, goes to your church. I think generally, if there's a woman that you're like, I would love to have her mentor me. If she's, the chances are that other people are asking for her time also. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a really hard thing. And, and it's a hard thing because that woman is really busy and has a lot of people that she's serving and loving and probably has a family or friends or, you know, people really close to her. And those are her, you know, she has a job, she has, you know, to pay her bills and like all kinds of things, you know, Mm -hmm. we all have so much on our plates. Um, and so I think that one of the biggest roadblocks is either us not wanting to ask someone to mentor us or to be our big sister because we don't want to impose on them. We don't want to take their time. Or we ask someone and they say no because they don't have the time to give us. And that can be really discouraging and really disheartening. But I think just recognizing that everyone, every big sister has a lot going on. And one of the best ways that we can like tuck up under them is to, yeah, is to help, help with what they're doing. And that way they can be served as we're gaining from them. And I just really, it's, it's an apprenticeship type thing. It's, let me come up under you and, and work with you and help you and learn with you. But it's that way you get to, to help them and help, um, add something to their life instead of just, instead of just asking for, for their time. Well, and it's sometimes in those settings that you actually learn the most. You know, it's not just sitting down and having a coffee where you're going to learn the most. It's when you're in the thick of it mm-hmm. and you're watching someone in the thick of it and you watch how they respond and how, you know, how they, how they converse when there's conflict or, you know, all the in-between of life that's not in a tidy coffee shop conversation. Mm-hmm. One of my little sisters right now is our babysitter. And it's not like a formal relationship that we have, but every time I come home after a work day on a Thursday and she's there, we chat and we talk and she's with me while I'm with my kids and I'm dealing with the stresses of life and she's telling me about her life. She's really there in a lot of ways to serve our family. I mean, she's not doing it for free, but like she has that heart of like wanting to serve our family. And then in turn, I'm able to invest in her as she's going through different challenges with trying to find a new job or trying to navigate a relationship that's been hard or, and it's very informal, but it's real life. And, um, I think that's a beautiful way to be able to 
find a big sister is to find someone that you really admire and find a way to serve them. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking yeah. of a woman in particular who in the year after I graduated from college, I nannied her, I nannied her kids and mm-hmm. just getting to be there and watch her live life and watch the way that she parented and watch the way that she like did her work and kept her home. And I feel like that was such a I got such an up close and personal look at her life and um, got to pick up just some amazing wisdom along the way just because I was really close to her. But yeah, I was taking care of her kids and that was the part Mm -hmm. that I was playing. So I I really love that. Hey guys, I hope you are loving this conversation with Heather as much as I am. Isn't she great? Wanted to pop in for one quick second to thank our sponsor for this week. Our sponsor for this week is a company I absolutely love. It's a company called Lola. Now, here's the thing. We care about the ingredients in the food we eat and in the beauty products we use. So why shouldn't the same be true about our feminine care products? Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all-natural cleansing wipes. They're 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes, which is amazing and makes me totally freaked out about what I've been using up until this point. But with Lola, we don't have to worry, and that's only one of the reasons I love them. Not only are the products natural and organic, but they come in a simple, customizable subscription, so you never need to make another frantic trip to the drugstore. Lola delivers exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, right to your door. It is super easy. All you do is sign up for a subscription, and it is fully customizable. You can choose your mix of products, your mix of absorbency, your number of boxes, and the frequency that you want them delivered. The subscription is super flexible, so you can change, skip it, or cancel it at any time. Guys, I got my latest Lola delivery a few days ago, and I really am such a fan. The delivery process is so easy. The products they delivered are so personally tailored to me. The box they came in is so cute and well-designed. But my favorite part is the fact that I don't need to worry about what's in these products that we use so intimately in our lives. And the fact that it's a company for women, founded by women, I love it. Oh, another thing that's super cool. For every purchase, Lola donates feminine care products to homeless shelters across the U.S. Isn't that awesome? Friends, I love this company, and actually, the only way I could love Lola anymore is if they had a gift in store for y'all, which, of course, they do. For 40% off of all subscriptions, visit mylola.com and enter promo code GIRLSNIGHT when you subscribe. I want to give you guys that info one more time just to make sure you have it. For 40% off of all subscriptions, go to mylola.com and enter promo code GIRLSNIGHT when you subscribe. Lola, I am such a fan of you. Thank you so much for all the great work you're doing, and thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. Okay, with that said, let's hop back into my conversation with Heather. Um, As we're thinking about being a big sister, I think that so many of us, and I think this is true for women of all ages, whether it's like you're in high school and you're thinking about leading a middle school youth group or whether you are in your 70s and you're wondering if you have anything to offer to the woman who's in her 50s, I think that we all struggle feeling like we have something to offer. Like, who am I to be a big sister or what kind of wisdom do I have to share? Or I think we just disqualify ourselves a lot. Do you have, I would just love for you to speak into that a little bit. For for the woman who's sitting here going, I'm not who, how, what would I offer to a little sister? Right. Well, I think tied up in that question is maybe a distinction that's important to make, which is what are we offering as a big sister? Are we offering our like tidy, I've got it figured out, I've arrived answers, or are we offering our vulnerability, which is our greatest strength? 
and our, um, our willingness to be open with people and to talk about the mess and also to talk about the victories, that is sometimes our greatest place of strength and our greatest place of having something to offer. But we often don't see it that way because it's scary to be vulnerable and it's scary to kind of bear our heart, whether it's our greatest weaknesses or our greatest strengths. That can be just as vulnerable to share with someone like your real big dreams, you know, your God dreams that you don't really tell anybody else because they sound so crazy. So I think on the basis of vulnerability being our strength and our offering, we all have something to give. And if you're willing to invite somebody else into your process and to say, like, I don't have it all figured out, but let me share my story, then you will find a place where you have a lot to offer. I, I love that. I think that one of the things that we can do is look back on our stories. You know, I think that we forget about this. Like we all have have walked some sort of journey in our lives. We've all walked through different things. And when we're walking through something, when we're in the midst of it, it's really hard and really uncomfortable and never in our entire, like never in our wildest dreams are we thinking, I'm going to be glad that I went through this someday and this is going to mm-hmm. help somebody else someday. But th- that's my favorite form of God's or like one of my favorite ways to see God's redemption is when he takes something that was a big mess in our lives and uses the way that like uses the fact that we survived it and uses, I don't know, the fact that we get to say God showed up for me in this and, or just, Mm -hmm. you're not alone. Like when he uses that in people's lives who are going through it just a couple steps behind us, that's my favorite thing. And so I think like we can look at our lives and see what we've been through. Like if you have been, my husband and I lost two jobs each. So four jobs between the two of us by our first anniversary. Wow. And I had never thought, I I never thought that I would ever lose my job. That just was something that happened in other people's lives. It just, it never crossed my mind that I would be a person who had gotten laid off, let alone twice. (laughs) But once it happened, like, I mean, maybe six months later, I started having other friends who started losing their jobs and I was the one that they called. Not because I like, you know, had some sort of crazy wisdom on what to do when you lose your job, but I could tell them they weren't alone and I could tell Mm -hmm. them a couple of things that helped me along the way. And I think that that's true of us in all areas of our lives. Like if it's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've had a kid who was really sick for the first couple months that they were born or were terrible sleepers, or if it took you a while to get pregnant, or if you were, got married really young and had to navigate that, or if you got married really late, or if you're single, or if you're any, any piece of our lives that we can think of, we've been through something. Um, every corner of our lives, we've been through something. And what we've been through, there are people behind us who are going through that now. And something we can all do is just sit with them and say, you're not alone. I've been through this too. And that is like, but I mean, just worth its, worth its weight in gold. That's so important and so needed. Yeah, I agree. Like I've been amazed at how many people I've connected with when sharing my journey with anxiety. And again, it's like such a vulnerable thing to talk about. And when I first started sharing about it, I still felt a lot of shame around it. And what I found was like, yeah, there were so many people responding and saying, oh, I've gone through that too. And I didn't know other people were struggling with that, even though we know the statistics, right? But until we have that personal connection, we still feel alone in it. Mm -hmm. And again, that's like that whole idea of like your mess and your, your place of weakness often becomes your place of greatest strength and impact because 
you're telling someone exactly what you said. You're telling them you're not alone. And that's what people want to hear. People don't want to hear, here's the 10 steps of how to make it all better right now. I mean, mm-hmm. eventually we'll get there. That's part of the process. But initially, people just want to know, I'm not alone. And they want to know that God could work in that person's life. And if he can do it for them, then he can do it for me too. And there's that hope piece, right? That comes when we know like, okay, if, if God can work in their life and if God can even still use them to make an impact in, in his kingdom, even though they've been through that thing, or even though they're going through something right now, then it's okay that I'm also going through something. And maybe this is a place where I can share about that. And, and then I can find some hope and I can find some tools and, and find the strength to go on. I love that. I was thinking about, I mean, name any person in the Bible. Like God always, when you said, um, if God can even use them, like, I don't know, David, Paul, Noah, Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve. I mean, Mm -hmm. name like anyone, all of the disciples, just big old messes, like every single Mm -hmm. person that God used in a really major way other than Jesus what like had some reason or something in their past or in their present that that should have disqualified them. And I love that God gives us those examples that Mm -hmm. it's like, listen, this is about me. This isn't about your impressiveness. This isn't about your perfect record. This is about Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And I'm able, like his power really gets to show, I mean, he gets to show off so much better in our weakness. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think we forget about that and it's, and it's really uncomfortable. I like it a lot better when I'm, when I feel like I'm holding up my end of the bargain, but it was never, it was never about that. God doesn't, doesn't mm-hmm. use us because we're impressive. He uses us because he loves us and because for some crazy reason, he invites us to be part of the story. And mm-hmm. that's amazing. But I, 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 I yeah. love that. You know, we get to, we get to show like, you still get to, you still get to show up. You're still welcome. You're still invited. God can still do incredible things through you, even even in the midst of this. And if He can do that for you, He can do that for me too. I love that. Yeah, and it's just in it's in your story. If you have a story, then you can be a big sister. And we all have stories. So yeah, there you yeah. go. I love that. So one of the things that I I know you talk a lot about is what in the world we're supposed to do with our hard emotions. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of being in really tricky times in our lives, um, I love that you talk about this. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Like what happens, talk to us about hard emotions and what we're supposed to do with them and what happens when we don't respond to them well, or when we don't process them. Talk to us about like, give us some big sister advice for when we're in the midst of something hard. For sure. Well, first of all, I have to say the only reason I'm so interested in emotional health is because I'm a very emotional person. And for most of my life, my emotions were in the driver's seat of my life. Mm-hmm. And so when I felt good, then everything was good. And I was close to God and I was, you know, firing on all cylinders in terms of pursuing my goals and all of that sort of thing. But when I felt bad, when I felt sad, when I felt angry, disappointed, rejected, my whole world just kind of stopped and I would turn inward and I, and I would just get taken out. And so for me, understanding the power of my emotions and also the place of my emotions has been absolutely life-changing. It's probably the single most life-changing thing that I've learned. And to sum up kind of the very basics of it would be to say that the emotions of our life are not supposed to be in the driver's seat, but they are also not supposed to be shoved in the trunk. 
And I think those are kind of the two options we're given is like either like you're an emotional person and you're just supposed to follow your heart or just like shove them in the trunk because they're very inconvenient and they're just going to totally lead you astray. And some people will even quote scripture and say like the heart is deceptive and, you know, like just shut their heart down. But I really believe that heart health and emotional health looks like our emotions being in the passenger seat of the car. So they have a voice, they have a place, and they actually have a really important role to play, but they are not meant to make our decisions. So I look at them kind of like a check engine light. So when you're feeling sadness or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious, we're supposed to pay attention to that. We're supposed to pay attention to that and ask a question, why am I feeling this way? What triggered this feeling? And the reality is, is every single feeling is actually started with a thought. And though we can't control and change our emotions, we can control and change our thoughts. And so we need to pay attention to our emotions and ask ourselves what the thought is that's attached to that emotion. And then ask ourselves, is that thought aligned with what we believe is truth? Because when we're not aligned with truth in our thoughts, then we aren't really living the life that we want to live and fulfill fulfilling the calling that we feel like we're supposed to fulfill. So for me, so much transformation has come in both self-awareness. So just actually being aware of what the emotions are and what's triggering them. And then also learning that I have a lot of power over the way I think. And I can reframe a thought so that it's still in line with like reality, you know, not just like this happy Christian truth that you just smack on everything and hope that you feel better, but rather it's still aligned with reality, but it's also aligned with truth. Can you give me an example of this? Like you're feeling, I don't know, like all of a sudden you're feeling sad. Like mm-hmm. talk us through the the mental process of yeah, like where does this come from and how do you change your thoughts and how can you keep them on yeah. track more in the future? And yeah, just walk us through this. I love this. Okay. So let's say you are on Instagram and you see a bunch of your friends are hanging out on a Friday night and you're not there. Okay. So you feel sad and maybe you saw that. And then it's like half an hour later, you feel sad and you're like going for the snack cupboard. Cause you're like in the dumps. And so you start like eating the bag of Doritos and you're like, I'm turning on Netflix. I'm just going to like escape all this emotion. In that moment, I would ask myself, okay, why do I feel sad? When did this change? Because we don't, always acknowledge or know when it changed. And so we start to kind of trace it back and go, Oh, I was happy until I was on Instagram. And then I saw that picture of my friends hanging out. And that's when I started feeling, you know, kind of down. And so then for me, I would ask myself, okay, what is the story that I'm telling myself about that picture that made me feel so sad? So for me, a story like that I would tell myself or that I do tell myself when I see those kinds of things is, oh, those people don't like me. They don't want to be with me. They'd rather be with each other. I am rejected. And that story obviously would bring a lot of sadness. So how do you reframe that story in a way that is still true? Like you're not just going to say, well, oh, no, everything's great. And Jesus loves me. So everything's okay. You want to still address reality, but you want to tell yourself a story that actually serves you and serves your life and your calling and your purpose. So for me, I would try and reframe that story and go, you know what, my friends are together. 
but I actually don't know the circumstances of what brought them together. There's probably a really good reason that I'm not there. Maybe they have a mutual friend that's in from out of town that they know that brought them together. Or maybe they actually thought I was not up for doing something or, you know, there, there usually is a reasonable explanation. I mean, every once in a while it's because your friends are jerks and that sucks, but (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. And, but you know what, that serves you too, actually. And my gosh, okay. Letters to a big sister. If I could go back and tell myself something, I mean, a lot of things I would tell myself, but I would go back and be like, you do not need to be friends with people who are mean to you. Like you just don't. I think yes. I was probably 26 before I realized that. And now a requirement right? to be my friend is to be kind to me all the time. Like you can't talk behind my back. You can't be yes. unsafe. You can't be, yeah. I mean, you need to be kind to me. And I just didn't know that that yes. was a, a, a requirement that I could set for my life. And so I feel like even that is a, a helpful thing that we can do in that moment is go, you know what? My friend's consistently hang out without me or they consistently do this thing that hurts my feelings. Right. I honestly, it, I think it might be time to make some new friends. And that is a really great step forward. Yeah. And that is a reframe that actually helps because I think what most of us do in that situation is we say it's us. There's something wrong with me. The big reframe comes when we go, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's actually them in this situation. And here's the other thing is I try now not to like villainize even those people. So the truth is that we're all doing the best we can. And that's been a huge reframe for me across the board is everybody is doing the best that they can. But just because you're doing the best you can doesn't mean you necessarily get to be in my inner circle. If that's the best you can do, then maybe I need to take a step back from that friendship. And again, that's a reframe. It's still true. It's still in line with reality, but it's serving you to move forward in a way that is in line with what you feel called to and the life you want to create. So that's the big difference is just asking ourselves, is the thought serving me and my life or not? And thinking that we're just garbage all the time and that that kind of situation just means that there's something wrong with us that is not serving us. So there's, there's a different way to reframe it. How do we know the difference between like, sometimes I feel like the truth, sometimes it is us. Sometimes I feel like, you know, the, the truth that talk about, talk a little bit about serving, like a truth serving us, because I know that sometimes something serving us doesn't feel good. Speaking of our feelings, Mm. not being great barometers or great drivers. So, so what yeah. happens, how do you know, how do you navigate that? That's a great one. Okay. Well, I was in a situation recently where I had some conflict with a, with a, an acquaintance and she said some things about me and my heart and my intentions that were really hard to hear. And she wasn't somebody in my inner circle. So I had to really weigh those things based on the closeness of our relationship, first of all. But I went away from that conversation and I asked God to show me if there was truth in anything that she was saying and to bring conviction to me if there was truth behind what she was saying. Because initially it was just the overwhelm of hearing like all this criticism. And as I kind of waded through that and I also got some feedback from people who are close to me and are in my inner circle, I realized, you know what, maybe in this one area, I do have some growth that I can do. Not that I was intending it the way that she thought I was, but that there was just a disconnect there that I could probably use as a growth opportunity. 
But again, I think it's the difference between like full on self-condemnation and just hating ourselves or actually showing kindness to ourselves and saying, yeah, kindness is that like I'm worth working on and I'm worth investing in and I'm worth growing into the fullness of who I'm meant to be. And sometimes that's going to look like, you know, I have to admit that there's an area where I'm weak. But a kindness is to say, I recognize that weakness and I'm going to invest in that place because I'm a worthwhile investment. Mm, I really love that. I really love that. That's so good. So when it comes to like moving forward, how does this get easier with time? Like it feels like every feeling that pops up in your head, you have you know, a half an hour process. And sometimes I think that that's really true. And I I love that you're um, like a deep feeler. I totally am too. And this has been such a thing in my own life, like paying attention to my thoughts and and Mm -hmm. realizing that my feelings, while they're valid, aren't always speaking truth to me um, has been a really big realization in my life. And so I'm just so happy that you're talking about this. But how, yeah, how do we get better at this moving Mm -hmm. forward? It really is practice. It really is. And when I first started doing this work, I would still sometimes have something trigger me and it would take me out for a week. And just a whole week, I would feel down and discouraged. And I would see everything in that frame of, you know, that thought that I was thinking and wasn't even recognizing. But what I have noticed the biggest change is what I call my snapback. My snapback, which is a Rachel Hollis term, if you know anything about Rachel Hollis, she talks about the snapback. And my snapback now is so much quicker than it was before. And that's where I've seen the biggest transformation. So it's not that the emotions don't come and it's not that I don't get triggered. It's that I actually know what to do with those emotions. So one of the biggest things that you can do right off the bat is just realize that the hard emotions are not actually your enemy. They aren't. They're not going to kill you. They have a beginning, middle, and an end. They're going to come. They're part of being human. They're actually part of like the fullness of the human experience. And the depth to which we can experience pain is the height to which we can experience joy. So all of it is actually good. It's not easy. It doesn't feel good, but all of it is good. And none of it is needs to be scary. So for me now, when I feel pain or sadness, I'm just a lot less upset about feeling pain and sadness. I accept it more. And then I don't judge myself in it as much. And then I'm able to process through it a lot quicker because so much we, so much of the time we get stuck just in feeling shame for the negative emotion or feeling self-condemnation or judgment for the negative emotion. So if we can just get the step of saying, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel depressed. All of that is part of my experience as a human. Now, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to respond to it in a healthy way that aligns with the person I want to be and who I feel God's called me to be? So it does get easier. It gets so much easier, but it, the negative emotions will never go away. Unfortunately. But that's Unfortunately. Part, <laughs> yes. That's um, part of the deal with being That's here. part of the deal, man. <laughs> Um, I love this. And I, I I feel like I've seen such a transformation in my own life. Like I mentioned in paying more attention to my thoughts and some things that have really helped. I think when we're talking about truth and bringing ourselves back to truth, I think there are two, two pieces of that for me. I think one is like God's truth. The more Mm -hmm. that we can know 
God and know his word and know his character because of his word and know what he says, know what he doesn't say and know who he, like what kind of God he is and also what he says about us, the more deeply we can internalize those things and read them and read them again and read them again and ask some questions so we understand them a little bit better and read them again. And the more we'll know, we'll have like a, a, center line to bring ourselves back mm-hmm. to. Um, and yeah. I think that that helps a lot with our snapback, like you said. Yeah. And I think another thing is like, we can ask for help with mm-hmm. these things. Um, yeah. I, I think that sometimes there are negative emotions or consistent thoughts that we have about ourselves or like broken pieces of our hearts that I think a lot of them sometimes come from I think they can come from any point in our lives. You know, it could be something that someone said in middle school. It could be something that, you know, some mean girls, like you, something you experienced with your friend group in high school. It could be all kinds of things. And I think every once in a while, we come upon something that we're having a hard time navigating on our own. And I just want to say, like, it has been so helpful for me in my life to have someone walk, like have a counselor walking through mm-hmm. some of those sticky points with me. Yeah. And it is, there's no, like, that's just a resource that's available yeah. for all of us when there's something that you're like, okay, I keep coming upon this. This keeps bothering me. I'm just not yeah. making it through it by myself. I, I think that that's something that can really help. And and it's amazing because in those sticky areas in my life, my snapback is so much quicker now because yeah. Because I had someone like really help me help me navigate it. Well, and for me, so much of these tools that I've learned about emotional health are from those kinds of resources. Like I've learned from counselors. I've learned from pastors that have mentored me. I have learned from people who have walked very close with me through my darkest places, my messiest points. And I would say like my kind of if you have your two steps, mine are very similar. And my three are radical acceptance is the first. So that's just what I was talking about. Like, accept this is how you feel. Don't try and push it away. Don't feel shame. Don't feel judgment. Just accept it. Radically accept it. And the second one for me is vulnerable connection, just Mm -hmm. like you mentioned. So when I feel anxious, I call my husband or I call my best friend right away. I don't wait like 24 hours. I don't wait till I'm not feeling it anymore. I, it's like something that I have programmed into my life now that I will call and reach out to someone immediately when I recognize that anxiety. And I pick my people very carefully because I don't want to tell somebody who's just going to be like, well, the peace of the Lord will be your strength. Like, that's not what I need to hear in that. (laughs) And my people know right then I don't need to hear that. I just need to hear you're okay. You're safe. I'm with you. It's okay. Yeah. And then my third one is gratitude. And that's something that we haven't really touched on here yet. But the most joyful people are the most grateful people. And that is, you know, that's not just a cliche. Like that is also science research based that the most joyful people are the most grateful people. And so when I'm in a season of darkness and pain, especially one that feels like it's sticking, I am just ruthless about gratitude. And I make myself I play like the thankful game with my kids when we're in the car and the moods are all sour and people are grumpy. I'm like, it's time for the thankful game. And I do it with my husband when, you know, we're sitting over the dinner table trying to talk through some kind of conflict and it's not going anywhere. We'll just stop. And I'll just say, well, what I am grateful for is that we're healthy. And he'll say, and I'm grateful that we have this house over in our lives, that we have this roof over our heads. And I'll say, I'm grateful that you got a paycheck last week and we'll just do it until something shifts. 
And I really think that gratitude and pain don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can be in pain and still recognize that there's so many things that we have to be thankful for. And, and pursuing that thankfulness will bring joy into our lives. I love that so much. That resonates with my heart so much. I think, I think that sometimes when we're, when we're feeling our, our most negative emotions, like we really can start to drown in them a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, I love that you, or I'm grateful that you mentioned anxiety. This last summer, I started to really notice that I was really, really struggling with anxiety. And then anxiety's best friend, depression showed up. And mm-hmm. like, it just was, I was drowning for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was vulnerable connection with people who knew me well enough to, to be in it with me and who I could tell what I was actually thinking and who like wouldn't, wouldn't leave me in it. Who could tell me truth because I like there, there are times when we just can't find it on our own. And I I think that that's so, so powerful and so important. And I think the the thankful game too is so good because even, um, it's like, what do you do when you are just sinking into scary thoughts or anxious thoughts or sad Mm -hmm. thoughts? It is, it is sometimes hard to find your footing, but I think that like, if you really were sinking into something, you could look up and maybe find like a piece of light or a star mm-hmm. or something to like hold on to. And and I think that gratitude can be that because even in our darkest days, even in our messiest, most painful circumstances, there's something to be grateful for. And it can be something tiny. It can be like, yeah. I am grateful that uh, my pants are comfy <laughs> or like, I am grateful for the, how good this coffee is. And you know yeah. what? Like, I think it's just, I think it's helpful. And it really was helpful for me, especially when I was in the thick of it to remember that there were really beautiful things, even in the midst of, even in the midst of my pain. Yeah. When you gave that example of like looking up to the stars to like find that light, it gave me chills because right at that moment, I was thinking about a time when I was at my cabin I was laying on the dock in the summer and I was feeling so depressed and discouraged and anxious. And I looked up at the stars and God just said to me, like imagine all of the light of all of the stars in the universe pointing at you. And he just said, my goodness is directed at you. All of my goodness is directed at you. And that was one of those moments where he spoke something to my spirit that needed to be said in a way that I needed to hear it in that moment that has carried me through so many dark and anxious times in my life when I feel overwhelmed, like what if something happens to my kids or what if something happens to me or what if something happens to my husband? And, you know, just last week I found out like one of my best friends from my 17 to 22 year old age, like died suddenly he fell into like a crevasse on a glacier and just was gone just like that and left behind a wife with two kids and is pregnant. And I just, plunged back into that place of anxiety. And I was like, if that can happen to him, like it could happen to my husband, it could happen to me. And I just went back to that thought that God showed me that day. All of his goodness is directed at me. All of his goodness is directed at my family. And that doesn't mean that I'm immune from pain, but I can trust in his goodness. His goodness is my footing. His goodness is the thing that keeps me from sinking into that despair. And I'm going to choose to dwell on that instead of dwelling on all the things that could happen. 
Because dwelling on all the things that could happen is a thought and a story that does not serve me. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't give me anything good. But focusing on his goodness, even in the loss and the fear and the pain and the confusion, that has the potential to bring good into my life. But focusing on the fear and what could happen has no potential for good. So I think it's important. The takeaway for that would be it's important to get with God yourself personally and allow him to speak to you in that place of vulnerability and fear and mess and allow him to say something to you that is directed for your life and your heart and your struggle. And he will do it. He longs to speak to us. If we quiet ourselves and we allow space for him to be known that's why that verse says, be still and know that I am God. When we are still, he will be known. And so I would encourage anyone listening who finds themselves in a place of pain or struggle or mess to be still and to bring that mess to God and to trust that he will speak to you, something that will be life changing and that will carry you through those dark, dark times. Oh, I feel like I want to like lay on the ground for a while. <laughs> like I, I just, I just, thank you. Thank you. And like, God is so good. Heather, I, we could talk about this forever. And truly I want to go like lay down and just be still with him for a while. Um, so everyone, we can just go do that together after this. Uh, yeah. But I, I, you know, I want to, I, I'm so grateful for, to you for sharing this because I feel like this is clearly such an important thing that you've walked through. This is an important part of your story that now mm -hmm. you get to be a big sister to all of us and walk with us as we're walking through these hard parts of our stories. And this is exactly why this is so important. Um, we don't mm -hmm. have to navigate this on our own. We get to do it yeah. together. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, I'm so excited about your book. It is so beautiful. And I just, I, I know, again, you know, we talked about at the beginning that you wrote it with, you know, middle school and high school girls in mind, college girls, but the, the, all of the things that are in there, there are so many messages in there that we need to hear no matter how old we are. And so I just mm -hmm. wanted to see, like, are there just a couple pieces of wisdom or encouragement from the book that you could share with us just kind of as a last, just like a last word for our hearts? Mm -hmm. Just three things that we that we need to hear as women. I would love to hear them today. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree. This book is, though it's directed for younger women, there's so many of my friends that are reading it in their 30s and 40s that are like, I'm loving this because we all kind of want to know, like, what would you tell your younger self, you know? And we all carry that part of our, we carry all of our ages with us. So sometimes we need to go back and like love our 17-year-old self. And recognize like who she was, was really beautiful. And what she was struggling with was really valid. And just to love her in that place. So if I could leave three kind of thoughts from the book, the first one would be identity. It would just be, uh, and this is a message we hear all the time, but doesn't always sink in. And the way that I would put it and is put in this book is that we get to live from not for. We can live from love, from identity, from significance, instead of trying to work for those things and earn those things. So that would be number one, is that you you can live from, not for, because of who you are as God's daughter. 
The second thing would be that you are free and powerful to decide what your life's going to look like. And that's tied into some of the stuff we were talking about with emotional health. You know, none of us are victims. We're not a victim of our past. We're not a victim of our circumstance. We're not a victim of our emotions. We are all free and powerful because, again, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, because he's given us that freedom. And there's that verse in Galatians 5.1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. And it's kind of a repetitive thought. And it's like, well, why would he say it like that? It's because we miss it all the time. We weren't set free so we could live as captives. We weren't set free so we could live as victims. We were set free so we could actually walk in that freedom. And so that would be the second message is to recognize that you are free and powerful. You're free and powerful to say no to people. You're free and powerful to set boundaries. You're we're both making like yikes faces right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so hard and so needed. Yes. Yeah. You're free and powerful to have brave communication in conflict. Oh, all these favorite things, right? But so often we just like pull back and we're like, oh, I don't want to, it's too hard. But no, you are powerful. You can do it. And the third one is that your light, what you carry is so much more powerful and bright than any force of darkness on this planet. We as believers are meant to be the hope of the world. That means that we should be carrying a light that tells everybody things could actually get better we could actually bring something that is more powerful than the darkness we face and bring an impact and bring a change so that our daughters and our daughters' daughters are telling different stories than we are telling today. That only comes, though, when we recognize how powerful and bright the light that we carry is instead of trying to be on the defense and trying to like kind of you know put that light under a, a jar to protect it. No, we don't need to live hiding to protect something. That would be that would be not recognizing how powerful what we carry is. And so that's that would be the third thing is just don't for, lose sight of the impact of what you carry, the impact of love, the impact of a kind word, the impact of sharing your story, even the messy parts. So that would be the third thing that I would want I would want every woman to know. I'm telling you, I'm going to go curl up and just lay it <laughs> down after this and let this sink in. Heather, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being such a great big sister and for gathering big sisters um, and gathering their wisdom. And thank you for fighting for this. We need big sisters and we need to be big sisters. Um, and so I just, I'm cheering you on like crazy and I'm just super grateful for you. Thank you. And thank you for having me and for creating a space for conversations about sisterhood and friendship and the connections that we can build together as women, because really those are some of the most powerful and transformative connections that we can ever build. And also this conversation for me has just come like at the end of a really dark week and you've just been a light and a joy. And I'm really encouraged to have connected with you. So thank you. Oh, and thank you, friends. You're welcome. Guys, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Oh, one thing I wanted to tell you guys. Heather created a promo code just for us so we can get her brand new book, Letters from a Big Sister. Isn't that amazing? All you have to do is use promo code SMAY25, that's the number 25, and it'll give you a 25% discount. And if you're looking for the link, all you have to do is go to stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog and check out our show notes. We'll have the link for the book and the promo code for you there. Just wanted to make sure I told you that before I forgot. 
Thank you so much for putting this together, Heather. Guys, her book is amazing. You are absolutely going to want to pick up a copy. Also, before you go, I would love it if you guys would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' night. So, would you do me a huge favor and take one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It really would help us out so much. And I have to say the biggest thank you to all of you who've left those beautiful five-star reviews already. It means the world to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for you today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night, and I have to tell you, you are going to love this one. See you then.